Hey everyone, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator of the Nerdist Writers Panel and the moderator of it. Thanks so much for downloading the podcast, and Happy New Year. Uh, I have a special message for you uh, about some upcoming podcasts and events, um, but for now, what I want to do is tell you about our sponsor for today's show. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, or online store. Squarespace is constantly updating their platform with new features, new designs, and more support. They have beautiful designs for you to start with and tons of style options for you to adjust so you can really create your own space online. Squarespace takes care of hosting, SEO, and even makes sure your site automatically looks great on any device. That's the most valuable thing about Squarespace. No joke. Uh, It's incredibly easy to use, but if you want some help, Squarespace has an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It starts at just $8 a month, a pittance, and includes a domain name if you sign up for a year. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code WRITERS1, W-R-I-T-E-R-S, the number one. Uh, That's for squarespace.com. Now, several items. Uh, As you know, our spinoff of the Nerdist Writers Panel, the Nerdist Writers Panel Comics Edition, sometimes called the Nerdist Comics Panel, incorrectly, um, is a a really fun podcast that we do. It comes out every Saturday. It's uh, usually the hosts are me and Len Wein, who created Wolverine and Swamp Thing and Human Target and has had a hand in everything that you love about comics from Watchmen to X-Men to other men. Uh, Superman? I don't know. Uh, Heath Corson, who is the writer of the upcoming DC Direct um, video, Justice League War, um, and Adam Beechin, the creator of the terrific independent graphic novel Hench, as well as a writer of Robin, Batman Beyond, and some other stuff, uh, terrific uh, comics historian as well. The, the guy knows more about comics uh, than kind of any of us on the show. Um, we're going to do an episode coming up that is all about your questions answered, about how comics are made, uh, stuff that we worked on, stuff that Len worked on. Uh, you know, he, like I said, look him up on Wikipedia, and I'm sure you have a question about something he's had a hand in. He was an editor and a writer for years and years, uh, still is. Um, so if you have questions about comic books, whether it's, you know, what does a writer get paid or how do you like to script things, or who would win in a fight, uh, uh, He-Man or Dracula, um, send us an email, and the best way to do that is to leave it on the Nerdist Writers Panel Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash panel. Please go and do that, because um, we're going to record this this week, so we want to get your uh, questions in soon, and, and it should be a lot of fun. I, I think we'll all learn a lot. I know I will. Um, I also want to alert you, if you are in the Los Angeles area, to some upcoming events. Uh, This coming Sunday, which is uh, Sunday the 19th of January, we have a special evening with Brian Fuller, the creator of one of my favorite shows on TV right now, Hannibal, as well as some of your favorite shows, Pushing Daisies, Wonderfalls, Dead Like Me. Uh, He's worked on Star Trek Voyager, Heroes, and more stuff. Um, So come see uh, Brian Fuller. Talk about everything he has done and... um, as usual, we'll, we'll do questions from you guys as well. Um, so that should be pretty cool. That's at the Meltdown space. Uh, then in February, we've got a couple of panels lined up. On the 9th of February, um, we have Philip Iscove, the co-creator of Sleepy Hollow, Don Prestwich and Nicole Yorkin, who have worked on The Killing, The Riches, Carnival, some other stuff. 
Paul Redford, who has worked in the Sorkin camp, uh, Newsroom and West Wing. Um, and then on the 16th of February, uh, another one I'm really excited about, James Wong. I've been trying to get him for a long time. He worked on X-Files. He's currently on American Horror Story. Uh, Moira Kurland, who is on Arrow right now. Uh, she's also worked on Castle. And then uh, Terry Metellus and Travis Fickett, who have written the 12 Monkeys pilot for sci-fi. And they've also worked on Nikita and Terranova. That's on the 16th of February. And we've got a lot of really cool ones coming up um, in March as well, so those will be announced soon. Uh, For all of these, go to nerdmeltla.com slash tickets2, the number 2, and look for our orange logo and get some tickets. I mean, as you know, these live uh, panels always benefit 826LA, the National Nonprofit Tutoring Program. Um, so the more people we get to those, the better 826LA does. And they're all really fun, as you'll hear in today's episode with Kurt Sutter and uh, some of the upcoming ones. We just recorded another live one just yesterday. Uh, and finally, I've told you before about the Michelangelo screenwriting program, wherein you go with me to Orvieto, Italy for two weeks. We hang out, we write, we talk about writing, we breathe writing. I would say we eat writing, except we eat really awesome food. Uh, It's this small town where there's kind of nothing to do but hang out and write and eat great food and drink great wine and have awesome olive oil. Uh, It's just, it was one of the highlights of my year last year. Um, And I would love if you are an aspiring writer. I know it's a little pricey, um, but, you know, it covers your travel and your, you know, staying there and everything. And uh, some of the people coming out of it from the last year have come out with amazing scripts and they are being shopped around right now as we speak. So I will definitely update you as that happens. But um, come join us in Italy this June, uh, michelangeloscreenwriting.com. Click on the Orvieto retreat. Um, We run it like a writer's room. Um, So, you know, the smarter, funnier, better quality people we have in there, the better it goes for everyone. And I know that people who listen to this podcast are smart and of high quality. So I hope you can join us for the Michelangelo Screenwriting Program. Uh, MichelangeloScreenwriting.com. Check it out and uh, come to Italy. Like, it's just fun. Uh, and I promise you'll come out of there with a script if, if you like working hard. It's also really central, uh, this Orvieto, this little town. And you can travel if you want, if you're so inclined, and, you know, take the train to Rome or to Florence or to any of the little towns around it. Um, it's, it's, I, I can't wait to do it again. So I hope that some of you guys will be there as well as ever. Thank you for downloading the podcast. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy it, please leave a message on, uh, please leave a review on iTunes, but really, if you enjoy it, come to Italy. Thanks. Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Yeah. First of all, uh, I am so I'm thrilled to have back uh, two writers whom I adore, and who are here to help uh, me navigate the tricky world of Sons of Anarchy. They are Sons of Anarchy super fans. Uh, please give a round of applause to television writers. Paul Grelong and Jessica Goldstein. Hi, Paul and Jessica. Hi, 
Ben. How are you? Hi, Give ben. us just very quickly before I bring Kurt out. Uh, tell us what you are doing with your writing lives these days. Uh, Jessica, what are you working on? I'm working on two pilots for ABC, two comedies. Very exciting. And one is sort of done and one is not. So you should be writing right now. Yes. Okay. <laughs> but you have a writing partner. I do. So thank God. Yeah. Uh, and Paul, what are you doing with yourself these days? Uh, season two of Revolution. I write for Revolution. On Heard of ABC. it. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Uh, all right. Let's do it. Let's get to the reason we're all here. I mean, the other reason. No offense. <laughs> uh, please give a big round of applause to Kurt Sutter. Kurt, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, my I'm pleasure. I'm glad we got it on the books. Me too. <laughs> uh, right in before the holidays. All right. So I want to uh, start a, a little bit general, um, and I'm sure some of this is fairly well-trod, but it's stuff I don't necessarily know, despite having uh, done copious amounts of research. Um, tell us about where you came from and how you broke into the business. Did you? Am I right to, to ask that you started out as an actor? Uh, I, I believe that's what some people refer to it as, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. I uh, uh, started out um, um, uh, as an actor, and uh, my, my undergraduate, I, did, I grew up in New Jersey, and uh, went to Rutgers uh, for undergraduate, and uh, uh, I think, um, <laughs> and uh, uh, had a, a degree in um, like um, English and mass communications from there, and uh, and then I went to New York and um, um, pursued uh, acting for about f- five years. Um, uh, came out here and uh, did the same for a while. And then um, uh, that didn't work out so well. So, uh, 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 and then I went back to, um, uh, to grad school in, uh, uh, outside of Chicago in northern Illinois and uh, uh, got my MFA in uh, uh, actually, in, technically, in performance and, and acting, and uh, uh, my plan was to um, teach acting and uh, and direct theater, and, uh, and that's really what uh, what I wanted to do. And um, it was in uh, grad school that I started writing and uh, really um, bad, unproducible plays. For the what, most uh, part. How were they unproducible? Just you know, I, I should have been writing at that point. I realized I should be writing screenplays because you you can't blow up a truck on stage. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, um, and then I did. I started. Uh, um, I started writing uh, uh, screenplays, and uh, a, a, and um, uh, and then moved back out here. Um, and in you know, while all this was going on, there were lots of drugs and alcohol and bad marriages. So, uh, but that's. Uh, I think that's a different podcast. <laughs> uh, but. Um, uh, uh, and then, uh, you know, there was a screenplay I wrote um, called uh, Delivering Jen that uh, um, kind of got me in the door um, and, met, a few, and uh, met some people. And I uh, uh, started working with a friend of mine who uh, is still, um, you know, I see her all the time. She's still a, a, sweet, a dear friend, um, Nicole Clemens, who uh, I met when I first moved out to L.A. And uh, she uh, was starting out as an agent at ICM. Uh, in books, and I was actually her first feature client, and I was with Nicole um, for f- 10, 15 years, and uh, and then she uh, left ICM and became an executive at FX, so we still work together. So, uh, 
um, um, but Nicole really helped me through that process and uh, uh, and helped me um, sort of uh, hone hone uh, a couple of scripts and. Uh, um, and then I started, you know, I'd always been uh, a, a kid. Uh, I grew up in front of the TV, and uh, I was that generation um, where there was no, it wasn't like today where, like, I actually, you know, my kid gets a half hour of TV. Then, <laughs> then it was just, you know, the TV was on nonstop. And uh, uh, so I always, I loved TV. I loved, um, um, you know, the one-hour drama format. And, yeah, what uh, was the stuff when you were growing up that you were attaching to? Um, you know, I grew up, like, you know... Uh, I watched like way, too, you know. I always joke about this, but it's really the truth. I, I, uh, I, I, I just watched. I loved cartoons. That's all I watched was, um, you know, Hanna Barbera and Warner Brothers cartoons. And uh, and I always talk about how uh, that, you know, I learned that um, really violent things, when performed by interesting and colorful animated characters, can be can be fun to watch. <laughs> So that served you well. Yeah, that formula I've applied to drama, and uh, uh, and it seems to be working. So uh, uh, a, a lot of cartoons, and um, um, and uh, and then I do. There was a couple of shows, and at the time I didn't realize it that they were influencing me. But I I, I just remember like watching. Um, Hill Street Blues, and knowing that that was different than any other show on TV, and 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 even as a young, even as a kid, like being engaged in that and being interested, uh, and and wanting to come back week after week after week. Um, were so, you were you aware as as a kid and sort of a young adult watching these things that these were created by someone, these were written by someone? I think I was aware that they were written by someone, but not necessarily like a. Um, uh, I, I didn't have any concept of that it was someone's vision or anything like that. I just knew that the dialogue was much more interesting. I knew that the characters were uh, much more engaging. I cared about it. was like those shows that when, you know, and it, it's still, there's still those types of shows. You still have, you know, um, serialized dramas and you still have, um, you know, procedurals. But all the shows that I remember watching were always just about story, you know, and and that that was great. But I remember these shows were different because I actually, for the first time, you know, cared about character, you know, cared about relationship, and and when someone walked into a room, you I was I was aware that oh, that last time I saw that character, he had this dynamic with this guy, and and the wife hates you know, and so there was there was just there was like a, a whole different dynamic at play that pulled me in more so than other shows. Um, so I, I've been I'd always sort of liked and, and sort of been drawn to that um, that format. Um, so that, you know, it seemed like a natural progression when I was pursuing work as a writer that I started writing one-hour specs and, and sort of moved in that direction. Sure. And I know I want to talk about that in a minute. Um, I do want to follow up just on one thing from sort of the, the theater training in the theater years. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship between acting and writing in the theater mm. uh, and what you took out of that that you apply as a writer and what, you, you know, what it was like for an actor as well? It really is um, uh, my, uh, and not that I planned it this way. It was a very, you know, I'm uh, I'm about ten years older than most of my um, uh, uh, peers in this business, and it's I took the long way, uh, and um, uh, it was a very circuitous path for me. But it's it's one that I look back on, and, and I can see the value of it now, in that. 
my biggest skill, uh, you know, my, I think my biggest talent um, as a writer, as, 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 if I can say that without sounding like a dick, uh, <laughs> is, uh, um, is that I, I write, I have a really good ear for dialogue um, and what's real and what's organic and what people actually say and that I have a really good sense of, of, uh, of, um, of how to build a character and, and relationship. And all that comes from my acting training. You know, I, I, I studied um, uh, Meisner technique, which is, you know, based on Stanislavski, but it's all, um, you know, I, I went through that training two times as an actor and then once as a teacher. So I really had it drilled into me. And, and working with actors and, 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 and you know, uh, working, studying actors, working off of each other, and 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 learning to f- to f- to know what was an organic response and what was a bullshit response. Like I I, I got my ear at the time just got trained to um, uh, to sort of organic um, um, uh, uh, you know talking and listening, and uh, so I've been able to sort of bring that skill set to uh, uh, to my writing, and that's all really from. You know um, the first year Meisner work, which is all talking and listening, and then the second and third year, which is all character study. Can I ask a quick question? I wish you would. I feel like I'm just in the audience, but I have a really, really good <laughs> seat. <laughs> You're the best audience man. <laughs> How much are you adjusting dialogue on set? Is it, you know, everyone's following script, or based on everything you're saying, is it in the moment you have to tweak? I um I. I spend a lot of time on each script. I pretty much do a page one rewrite of all my scripts, and um, and I really do a, a go over dialogue with a fine tooth comb. And um, so my my rule of thumb usually on set is that um, I don't I don't like improvising. Um, my my experiences and look, I'm I'm I have a I have a really huge healthy ego and if, imp- if if improvising made me look better I would go with God you know what I mean but what I've learned is that when I when that happens it tends to um, dumb it down it tends to make it sound more pedestrian and and not quite as interesting to me so I um, what I've learned is that I, I really don't allow a lot of improvisation I really like people to you know the, I always say the script is in a blueprint you know uh, the script is a script, and uh, um, so. And having said that, though, you know, I have really, I have an open door policy with all my actors. You know, if there's something in a script that's not resonating with somebody that they can't wrap their brain around, you know, we'll have conversations. I always have a writer producer on set. If they're inside of a scene and they're beginning to work on it and something's not working right, I'll get a phone call. We'll have the conversation. So. It's not like it's so rigid that you, there's no room, but I do. I've I've just learned that if you um, uh, if you set that boundary, you know, um, it's most of the time the result is is of a higher quality than if that boundary wasn't there. Yeah. It's interesting to learn you do a page one rewrite of all the scripts uh, as the showrunner. This is not often the case. Uh, or sometimes when it is, you get a showrunner who slaps his name on right, the, right, at that episode. Right, right. What are your feelings on this management style? You know, I, I can only speak from my experience. And, and um, um, I, uh, you know, on the, on the, my only other experience before Sons was The Shield, and I was on that since the beginning from for seven seasons and uh i um uh 
and Sean, you know, was very, Sean was a great mentor for me, Sean Ryan. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, and Sean would do, you know, a fairly extensive rewrite on all those scripts and depending on who the writer was. And, and then, you know, as, as the seasons progressed and, and we became more familiar with the voice of the show that loosened up a little bit. Um, I, um, you know, I, I have a very particular ear for this show, um, and uh, and I have I have tremendous writers. I have great writers, um, um, but I I I tend to um, here's what happens. Sean's skill set in the room was that he could see the episode on the board and be very specific about where it was going and what he wanted it to look like. I don't. That's my weakness as a, as a showrunner. It's like I I'm in the room. I hear the pitch. It kind of makes sense to me. I trust my writers, and and we sort of go, and then you know we'll do the process that we all do. We we'll board it all out. We'll do an outline, um, and uh, you know we'll comment on the outline, and then we'll do drafts of the script. But for me, a lot of times, what happens is I don't really see the episode till I'm inside it as a writer. It's like I'll get inside of it. And I'll go, oh no, that's what the dynamic is there. So it's not so much rewriting because it's not good. It's rewriting because it changes. You know, it'll be like, oh, you know, that's not working for me. Or that that dynamic on the board looked great, but when I'm inside it and I'm listening to it, it's not it's not resonating. Or we need, you know, so. That's just become the process for me, and I honestly wish I could have more. Um, uh, I could have a, a better awareness of that um, in the room, but I just, I just, I just don't. And and I, it's just my process. So what I've been able to do is I schedule my seasons so that I do have, you know, I start really early in in the in the year to try to get a good running start because. I'll need like seven to ten days to do my draft of, of a script, and a lot of times it's just because, you know, it's I, I don't I don't find it till I'm inside of it. Yeah, how many scripts do you tend to get through before production starts? Uh, the the goal is usually to get four or five in the you know uh, uh, production drafts done, and we're, we usually we usually end up doing that, okay. and it doesn't get really wacky until you know episode nine or ten, you know. Um, I want to go back to talking about The Shield just for a second, and then I want to get to some sun stuff. But um, we've had Sean here. We've had uh, folks who were in the room, uh, Glenn Mazzara. And it's, not, it's an incredible room that yeah, you guys yeah, had. Yeah. Uh, but Glenn talked a little bit, I think it was Glenn, talked a little bit about the uh, dichotomy in the room right. where you know half the room wanted to really push things. Uh, and half the room was, you know, I, I wouldn't say it was telling a standard police story, right, but right. was a little more in the traditional television mindset. Right. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and what you wound up taking from that to apply to your own room? Um, the Shield was such a great fit for me. I, I uh, you know, we didn't, nobody knew what it was or what, we, what the fuck we were doing. You know, FX was nothing and, uh, or, you know, or just discovering what they were and, uh, and Sean had never run a show before, so we were all sort of there, you know, running blind. And, and I had never been staffed before. I was so naive. I had no idea. Like, I, I, I you know, um, uh, it's like I have very selective hearing and very selective comprehension sometimes. And, and uh, all I saw was that I had, like, a, a five-year contract. I was like, oh, fuck it, man, five years. So <laughs> not realizing that that option had to be picked up every year, you know. So, um you know, I just came into the room as 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 me, and uh, uh, and um, and I was remember I was working uh, Scott Rosenbaum, who uh, 
is uh, running uh, uh, gang-related now and, and a great writer and, and one of my best friends now. But at the time, he was the other staff writer. And it was, like, super fucking competitive, you know? And I, I'd be like, what the fuck's up with this guy, man? Just, <laughs> just fucking relax, dude, you know? Because he'd be, like, well, he'd be, like, fighting to get his pitches in, and people would be, and be like, well, why is everybody, so, so the fuck, man? Why is everybody so competitive? And it wasn't until, like, literally after they picked up my option, I was like, what do you mean they picked up my option? Well, they're going to ask you back for next year. And I was like, oh, they have to ask me back? <laughs> I had no idea, and thank God, and thank God for that, because if I would have been, it would have just been a different headspace. But um, we, uh, um, so everyone was just sort of figuring it out, and um, and I always say the Shield was such a perfect fit for me because every pitch that literally, you know, studio execs were like reaching for the security button while I was pitching to them, you know. I got to use every one of those pitches on the Shield, so every like fucked up, like. Crazy ass, you know, nailing people's feet to the floor, <laughs> having guy come in mayonnaise jars and storing it in his refrigerator. Like every fucked up pitch I ever had, I got I, to you say, know what? "What about that?" And Sean be like, "Well, I like that," you know. So, we, you know, so yeah, there was, and and Glenn was the same way, you know. Glenn would just be, you know, <laughs> Glenn every season. And and we, we ended up telling Walton this afterwards because we ended up killing Walton's character, you know, at the very end. But every year, Glenn would come in with a kill Shane pitch. You know? And it would just be, we've got to fucking kill that guy. And so he, Glenn and I were, like, pushing the room in different directions. Um, and then, yeah, and then there were a few writers who I think had come from a more sort of um, traditional... Um, you know, uh, serialized drama you know, that were trying to keep us back and, like... Reality, you know. So at the end of the day, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's sort of like you know. uh, So I I think it ended up sort of being a good mix. You know, I think we got to push them a little bit, and then we had people, you know, kind of rein us in a little bit. Um, um, What uh, What did you learn from that? That you know, you've taken to your room, both in terms of storytelling, but also in regards to putting together a writer's room. Um. That's a good question. I, I you know, I, I think uh, the process of uh, I had never collaborated um, before as a, as a, other than you know like theater collaboration, but that's a different energy than being in a writer's room, you know, with uh, you know fighting for ideas and being being proprietary over you know what you think the show is and what direction you should go in, and 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 it took me a minute to realize the value of that. You know, the value of, you know, feeding off of other writers and, and the energy of that. And, and then it became very exciting to me, you know. Then, because you realize that push and that pull and that, and that fight, you know, that you have artistically is what fuels that stuff. Do you know what I mean? And uh, um, which is why Glenn and I had so much fun because, you know, Glenn's just, you know, we're both, you know, angry guys from New York and... Uh, uh, so we, you know, and 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 so we we had a lot, of, you know, there was a lot of that energy. So I was able to sort of take that into my room and really, you know, define the room in terms of this is what it should be. You know, I want you to have those, come in with those ideas and fight for those ideas. And if someone tries to shut it down, you know, 
you know, fight back for it. You know, to, to sort of get that energy going. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing I hate than coming into a room where everyone's fucking agreeing with each other. It's like I don't pay you to agree with each other. I pay you to fucking fight for your ideas and, and you know, um, and, and, and bleed a little bit. So I picture, like, a room of people like us and then one, like, super grizzled biker consultant who's just like, oh, everybody's going to die today. <laughs> like, yeah, let's, t- let's try that. Let's try that. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's talk about a little about the nuts and bolts of this. Um, are there consultants? How does the research get done on sons? Research? Uh, <laughs> we don't need no stinking research. Uh, we, um, I have a couple TAs. Um, when I went up and did my initial research for the show, um, I went up to uh, Oakland and uh, um, spent uh, quite a bit of time with uh, a couple club members up there. and. <laughs> Um, and then they ultimately became TAs for me, and, and one of them is actually on the show. The guy that plays Happy, David Labrava, is a, is a full patch member of a club up north. And um, so I, I, you know, I, I'm for better or for worse, I've I've you know become somewhat um, uh, connected to um, uh, that world. Um, so I'm very aware of, of 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 how things are done and what that looks like. Um, um, so there's not so – I mean, the first couple seasons, there was a lot of, hey, can we do this or what does this look like? And now, really, it's more about um, process in terms of, hey, if this went down, what would it look like in terms of, you know, um, uh, procedure in the club? You know what I mean? Like if, if this guy left or if this guy wanted to move and, you know. So there are certain bylaws and, and, and things like that. So that's what we'll tap into a TA for now. It was never about story so much. I wanted to stay away from that. You know, first of all, I just, you know, you, it's just a, uh, for my own personal safety, it's just dangerous to start to parallel or tell similar stories that have happened in sure. the world because, you, you know, ultimately you, you end up, um, mm-hmm. uh, people feel like they're being exploited and, and, uh, so, uh, you know, it's why we did gun running rather than drugs. There are, there are definitely clubs that, that gun run, but they're, you know, they're, they're fewer and far between than, than the clubs that do other nefarious things. So. Um, did you guys have anything before I ask more questions? I just wondering, have you ever accidentally hit on something that is real that you weren't aiming for and get some angry email from somebody scary? Um, also, they like get, get off their motorcycles, sit down at their computer. Like, oh, I am going to fire off one angry email. <laughs> Dear sir. Dear sir. Um, the interesting thing is that, uh, you know, Listen I've had. Evite. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he has an evite to my own funeral. Uh, uh, I've had uh, I've actually had several death threats and 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 a couple of them were ridiculous and a couple of them were scary. Um, uh, um, most of the time, you know, uh, uh, I, I've, we haven't told a story that has paralleled anything that people have felt like, oh, you're telling a secret. You know, it's a. Uh, um, you know the interesting thing you're you're you know you're joking about them sitting down at their computer, but the truth is you know there's a, a few clubs out there that are very litigious you know, and sure. we have had several times you know uh, the the original name for the show was actually going to be um, forever sam crow and uh, um, and uh, I think it was was it hell's angels one of the one of the clubs up north felt like you know forever uh, 
Hell's Angels or who are the Forever Outlaws, one of them. Um, that was their motto. So we literally got a letter from their lawyer saying you mm-hmm. can't use that because we have the proprietary rights to apparently the word forever. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it was the kind of thing where it was like, okay, <laughs> we have another title in our pocket. We'll play, we'll play with that one. You know, so um, things like that. We, um, and, I, and I really try to stay plugged in. Uh, again, I, 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 I knew what we were doing was, you know, it was a fine line over between people feeling like we were engaging and, and, and being respectful and, 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 and exploiting. We had, uh, and this is, you know, this is the, how, how um, detailed it is, but we had our guys uh, where, you know, all these, a lot of these clubs, they all have club shirts, you know, that actually say the name of their, their club on it, and that's, they have a lot of gear that, you know, Hell's Angels has a lot of gear with the death head on it and the colors and, and banditos and the Mongols. They all, have, they all wear their, their club wear like the guys in the show. And we had uh, the first season, the lettering that we used for Sons of Anarchy on, on our clothing was um, very similar to a lettering that a club uh, had back east. And we got a letter about it. Like you're stealing, you're basically you're stealing our font, you know, <laughs> and uh, um, and it was and you know we had printed up, you know we had a lot of shirts with that, you know, um, so we I said okay I understand and we changed the font and you know, those are collectors items now <laughs> and uh, um, and even things like um, you know the, our club colors are, are blue and and uh, and and white and. Uh, um, the, initial, the original shade of blue on camera sometimes looked, was dark and looked black. And black and white are, are Mongols' color, which is a club out here. And uh, um, we, we got some, a little bit of blowback about that. And uh, so we went in and we changed, you know, we tweaked the color of, 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 the, of the, every cut, everything. We changed the color of everything so that it, it read as blue on camera, you know. So it's just like, it, it's that kind of stuff where... It's not, yes, it costs money to do it, but ultimately it feels like that's the respectful thing to do. You know what I mean? Sure. And uh, um, so it's, it's, you know, it's things like that that have happened over the time. That's very interesting, uh, especially that a lot of this was coming in the first season, obviously. Yes. You guys were figuring out your relationship with these clubs. Um, how did the network weigh in on this? I mean, you're, you're going out to spend a lot of money so you don't get sued by right. a, a motorcycle club. But what is the relationship like with the network? Um, it's it's a really uh, um, uh, it's a very good relationship. I um, have a tremendous amount of respect for uh, for everyone at FX, um, uh, especially um, John Langraff. Um, I think he's a really smart dude and, and a very collaborative and and uh, and really uh, has a lot of appreciation and respect for um, for artists uh, up and down the uh, up and down the row. So. Um, but you know, like anything else, when you're beginning a project together, there's, um, you know, there's a lot of input. You know, um, people trying to guide you and trying to put point it in the right direction from what their needs are, and then me, you know, with what my vision is. And and for the most part, those things dovetailed into each other, and sometimes they didn't. You know, um, I, um, you know, uh, there was a lot of, you know. Uh, uh, you know, I, I don't recommend calling the president of your network a fucking cunt, but it happened. I'm, so, I'm sorry, do or don't recommend? Don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, Wait, 
how, how did this come up? Uh, usually in, in emails at two in the morning. Uh, uh, the, the, the only good thing about it is that I would get emails, like I just brought out the worst in him. So I would get emails of similar quality back. So I was like, all right, we're on the same page. <laughs> get each other. Yeah, we understand. Um, what were the kinds of notes that you were getting early on? Um, you know, they're, they were, uh, they're concerned with, you know, uh, when this show first came together, there was a sense of, of, you know, everyone has research, everyone has data, and, and I'm sure you guys get inundated with it, especially on, 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 on network shows, on broadcast network shows, but we, you know, we get it as well. And, and, you know, the data that came out when this show first hit the air was that serialized dramas you know, are, 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 are a thing of the past, you know, that they're really struggling. So there was a sense of trying to maybe have these episodes feel a little more standalone. Now, at the time when you're trying to, when you're trying to like get a show on the air, you go, oh, I can do that. And, and the reality of it is they are two different things and, and it, it doesn't work. You know, you can't do both at the same time. So the first few episodes, we really, you know, there was a sense of having a big A story that people could kind of plug into and maybe and have the character stuff come secondary. And then what happened was, you know, you are telling a story of a family and, and the stakes get higher. And by episode four or five, I, you know, I just went to them and said, I don't, I don't know how to do this anymore. This is, these are the stories I know how to tell. This is what I know how to do. I can't, you know, uh, I, I can't do both. And, uh, and you know, they, they were aware of that and they, and they basically understood. And I was able to sort of do what I know how to do, and I really feel like by episode six or seven, you know, I found the show, you know, and, um, uh, and, uh, and not that, you know, I mean, I'm proud of those first six episodes, obviously, but it was, they were, you know, we were trying to, to not only introduce the world, introduce the characters, but we were trying to figure out what exactly it was at the same time, and, and it just, you know, it was a, it was kind of a, a, a beast, and, uh, um, so we, you know, we, by episode six or episode seven, it's like, I, this is what I know how to do, so can I try doing it? And, uh, and they, you know, and they were aware of that, and, uh, and, and, and they sort of uh, uh, backed off a little bit. And then, you know, they'll weigh in usually at the beginning of each season, you know, um, although this was the first, uh, I think this was the first season where I turned in the premiere and got no notes. So uh, uh, either and, I, and I, I say either either they really trust me or they just don't care anymore. <laughs> there's no helping this guy. There's no, there's, there's no help. I, I have a question. I'm just wondering how the process with um, with FX has changed over the years. Like in between seasons, do you find yourself do you do you have to go and say this is going to be kind of the Damon Pope season, and right. I have this idea for an Ireland season? Mm-hmm. Like how did how did it start? And then over the years, now you're going to be going into season seven. What's it like now? Um, it's pretty much the same process uh, each season. What we do is um, I meet with my writers first, and I have kind of a um, you know a skeleton for what I want the season to be. And um, uh, we um, we'll start. We'll spend a few weeks. Um, I, for some reason, I keep doing this, and I'm not quite sure why. It's spirit fingers. But, uh, it's like I'm tripping. Uh, uh, um, we'll we'll break uh, you know we won't break specific stories but we'll just 
Um, I'm a big believer in themes. I love themes, so we'll throw up, okay, what are the themes for this season? And we'll do a board and we'll just, you know, brotherhood, revenge, whatever it is. We'll just, you know, um, and um, and that sort of gets the process moving. And then, uh, you know, about a month in, before we actually start writing the first script, I'll go into the network and say, you know, here's the, um, here are the bullet points for the season. Here's what I know we want to do. Here's our main characters. Here's perhaps our guest stars. Here's some mile markers. Um, and... Um, and sort of this is where I know I want to end up. Um, and, uh, and they'll weigh in. They'll have most, most of it, um, uh, you know, it's like I'm, I'm, they treat me a little bit like a mental patient, which is probably yeah. appropriate. Uh, but uh, so everything's sort of like they don't really give me notes anymore. Everything, it's like Jeopardy. It's all, it's all delivered in the, in the form of a question, you know. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, so they'll ask a lot of questions, and, and that's pretty much how they give their notes at this point. Um, uh, but that's the process. I'll go in, and, and, um, and what I've learned, and I've, and I've shared this a lot in the last couple of years because it's, you know, it's like anything else. There, you know, the lessons I learned the previous season um, a lot of times don't apply for the following season. Every season, it's a new lesson. Every season, it's a different, different set of circumstances. So... Um, I've learned that with that skeleton I come in with each season, the the looser my grip is on that skeleton and 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 those mile markers, the better the season is. You know, when I let the stories start to tell themselves, uh, my write I give my writers more freedom to tell their stories. I don't necessarily hold on so tight to what I think my vision is, you know, and, and, and the seasons have evolved a little bit more um, organically and more interestingly, I think, as a result of that. So I go in with that caveat also that this is what we want to do, but it may all change as you get the scripts, you know. Yeah, um, I, I've, I've heard you speak before about how your plan changed for Opie in season one, mm-hmm. and that's, I think, a really great, huge example that ultimately right. yielded some of the greatest uh, mythology <laughs> in the show. <laughs> right. Oh, you, uh, oh, yeah. We, um, uh, the, uh, the plan was to, um, you know, I knew I wanted that catalyst at the end of the first season to point jacks at Clay. And uh, the original plan was to um, kill Opie at the end of the first season. And um, we, in fact, we only had a one-year contract with uh, Ryan. And, uh, um, but we, we loved the character so much, and uh, he had brought just a, you know, he had just such a great um, level of empathy and, you know, had, delivered, had such pathos, you know. And we saw that relationship and that bond. And, um, and uh, so uh, we killed his wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's really the truth, and and I love Sprague Graydon who played uh, his wife, and uh, and literally as I was about to tell Sprague that we were killing her, someone someone told me that yeah she gets killed off in every show she does, <laughs> and I'm like oh great, so she comes in she sits down and literally she goes you're killing me aren't you, <laughs> and I'm like it's the luck. Um, so, um, uh, so that was the shift, you know, and um, um, and then so that ultimately 
the pain that Opie was in and, and, and how broken he was be, then became the catalyst for Jax to go at Clay. Yeah, know? and it lasted, I mean, it lasted for years. Yeah. I mean, the Jax-Opie yeah. relationship is so important. Right. And it's, it's just very interesting to hear how, uh, you know, you go in with one plan, but you're, you're flexible and open to yeah. changing it. I'm wondering off the top of your head, are there other examples from later seasons that you can think of where you went in with something in the skeletal plan, but something came up in the room and maybe like, oh, that'd be great if... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably examples of that every season on 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 a on a you know a, a smaller scale. Um, I think um, you know I uh, well here's an example. We um, uh, uh, we had a character um, uh, who played um, David Hale, who was the um, uh, the assistant sheriff to mm-hmm. Unser. And he was sort of like the guy that was kind of the young guy, the go-getter, and, and grew up in the town and, and, and never really um, felt like uh, the sons belonged there and that they were, you know, uh, a sort of a, a, a black mark on the town. And, um, you know, um, uh, uh, Taylor uh, Sheridan, who played uh, um, uh, that character, was, was a great actor. And, um, and, uh, uh, and, and some, at some point... We were coming back for the following season, and negotiations for bringing him back kind of went south, and he had, like, new lawyers or something. And, and it wasn't him as, as much as it was, you know, the people who help us. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, so it just went south, and so suddenly I was like, oh, well, what happens if I don't get this character back, you know? And so that was one of those things where, by circumstance, we were, like, forced to come up with a plan B, and then we came up with a plan B that really pulled Unser into this other dimension in terms of his relationship to the club, his relationship to Gemma. And all of a sudden, it just opened up this door, and we were like, oh, man, that's awesome. <laughs> and, and then they resolved the, t- the conflict with, 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 with Taylor. And I was so in love with the other story, I went that way. You know, and it was hard because it was like you know, and but the, you know the 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 um, the uh, uh, the upside of that story is that that's actually when uh, I think that's when Taylor um, started writing, and now he's got a great he's a great he's got a great career as a writer. So I feel responsible for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, that was one of those things that yeah, opened wow. it up, and 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 you know, Unser is like probably one of my favorite, if not my favorite character to write for, you know, so. I I have sort of a a macro question along the same lines, which is, uh, how has the concept or the pitch to the show or the thesis to the show changed over the years? I mean, what what was that original pitch like, and how has it evolved, or has it? Um, That's a great question. I know why you do this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thank you. Uh, I think... um, you know the the original pitch. Uh, like, I don't. I didn't go into the pitch for this show and say, "Hey, here's season one, here's season two, here's season three, here's season four. I don't. I know there's people who can do that, and I guess if you're dealing maybe with some sort of historical drama or you know some really big concept thing, that's possible. I don't quite know how to do that in a serialized drama in terms of character and family and all that stuff. Like, I don't, I don't know what necessarily it's going to look like. Um, so, uh, I didn't, I didn't go in with that format, uh, other than that, you know, it's a, it's a, a family drama and, uh, um, and, 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 and the stakes of, of the world. You know, I knew 
there would be, I ultimately knew that I wanted Jax to be at the head of that table. I knew that there, the, you know, the loose references to Hamlet would come to play and there, the, the conflict between father and uh, stepfather and son and ultimately um, mother and son would, would all play out. But that was about it. So I've, I'm, I'm still sort of heading in that direction in terms of those big mile markers. Um, but the show has gone in directions and, and relationships and characters that I, I, I could have never imagined, you know. As these things do. Yeah, I, think, yeah. I, feel, I feel like executives are starting to understand that you can't plan it out so rigidly. I, I, I think you're, you're – again, it, you know, obviously there are things that, 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 is, that's, um, that calls for that and, and that makes sense. But I, I do think that you're, you're really um, uh, limiting yourself in terms of process because to me – and not to sound hokey, but, you know – that's the magic for me as a writer. You know, like that's the stuff where you come out of an episode or you see it, like the whole crazy ass thing we did with with Venus and the transsexual. Is like to me, like I fucking love that shit. Like that's magic for me. It's like you know that's so much fun and so creative that I feel like oh you know that that's what I get excited about. So to you know uh, to have to have that idea in some other capacity in some other way just takes the 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 process out of it and the and the artistry out of it I think are there are there ideas I mean because this is the process and you know you, you chase ideas around till you can finally find a place for them are there ideas or even characters or things that have gotten away that are revisited year after year um Oh, you mean that we, we haven't been able to do when yeah. we try to do? But something that whether it's you like or the room right. likes that you've, you know, just haven't been able to crack yet. Huh. Um, I would say, uh, you know, we toy with a couple things. And, and I'm all about, uh, like, I love to uh, create dynamics that I have no idea how they're what direction they're going to go in, and if we will ever be able to address them again. I have no problem with doing that. I think when you worry about, well, we can't do that because how are we going to play it, you know, how are we going to pay it off? Who the fuck cares? Maybe you don't pay it off, you know? So, um, like, uh, for an example, like the, um, the Gemma-Tig dynamic. Like, we, we saw some chemistry between them, and they almost, they almost hooked up, and then they didn't. And I think... People are like the room comes back to that every year. Like, well, what? Do we, how are we going to pay it? And it's like, no, nah, it doesn't make sense. That doesn't, you know what I mean? So if if the idea, like, if it dovetails into something that feels organic and real, then we'll do it. But I have no, I don't need to pay it off. I don't need to feel like, well, I have to justify doing that scene three years, seasons ago. You know what I mean? And I think sometimes writers uh, or you know. You can get into that trap of well, I don't, I don't know where this is going, and 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 how am I going to pay it off? And and I don't know. Maybe you don't have to. You know, maybe it's just a moment of time. Well, and it seems like you guys have have set up a mechanism on this show where you're allowed to do that. You're allowed to leave these things hanging. They're right. allowed to have complex relationships. Right. And the audience goes with it. How 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 much interaction do you and the writers have with the audience? How much do you consider the audience? How much are you the audience? Um, I probably have too much interaction with the audience. <laughs> um, I, uh, uh, I, you know, I think it's just my theater background. I just, you know, uh, I mean, it's it's what I use social media for. It's it's all about the show. It's all about sort of getting people excited 
taking the temperature. Um, I'm I'm very aware of an audience. You know, I'm uh, I'm not a writer that sits in his ivory tower and says, you know, I don't give a fuck if anybody watches this. This is my art. I really, you know. I have a huge ego, so I want as many people watching what I do as possible. I need as much attention as I can get. So I'm very aware of audience, and and it's important for me to, you know, as you know, first of all, it's my job uh, to you know to get as many people watching as possible, and 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 I I want to get people excited. You know, I want it to be an experience. I want it to be fun, and um, you know. Um, so I was just I was just telling um, I was talking to my wife Katie who plays Gemma on the show and and we were in a coffee at a coffee shop this morning and some guy who came in on a bike came up to me and was talking to me and and just saying how you know he watches the show with his mom and and yeah and and like those are the kind of like and I talked to the guy for about ten minutes like I love like that's the kind of interaction I love those are the kind not the crazy fucking fans with the the thirty pictures and the sign my shit and 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 and, uh, and uh, sleep with my mother you know those fans are they, they kind of creep me out but the people who are you who are genuinely engaged and, and have a story to tell like that to me is is you know that's that's what makes me feel good about what I do. So I, I I like to have that interaction. Now, I I don't I don't write for an audience in terms of oh I think I better write it this way because they're gonna they that's where it has to go. But I I'm aware of what people are excited about. You know we have a big you know there's a big action. You know I love writing action and there's a big you know action component in my show that to me is sort of like the candy you know it's sort of the the thing that people get excited about and then you kind of like sneak up with them on them with the you know the emotional stuff and the character stuff and so um but i'm aware of what how people respond to that so i you know i know what's working and what's not working um and and i let that influence me in terms of of, of where i move forward and how i go not so much like Oh, they don't like that character or that story. You know, it's like then, then you're taking notes. That's dangerous. But like, I think to be aware of what excites people and and uh, and what they what they connect with is 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 only you know can only help you in terms of process. You know, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna set uh, Paul and Jess loose on you. Um, okay. And what do you guys got? I, I have a question that I think about at least every other episode. <laughs> Are there actors who cannot ride? That every time, like, who gets on a bike and is like, ooh! <laughs> like, just go. <laughs> Podcast um, audience. Yeah. He is shaking his head vehemently. There are not actors who can't ride. They, um, uh, most of my guys, you know, they, nobody really, um, I think um, Boone, Mark Boone and Junior and, uh, and Kim Coates rode, uh, um, had bikes, but you know Charlie Denver really rode, and um, none of the other guys were avid riders. And you know they did what they they do. They took lessons and and they got proficient. And and you know and Charlie really immersed himself in in, in jacks. And um, you know uh, uh, Charlie rides his bike everywhere. You know what I mean. And uh, uh, so you know it's just part of the process. Um, Ron, however, has never quite embraced <laughs> the motorcycle. Uh, so we quite often we had, uh, and, and there was a couple seasons where he got 
good enough on it where he could we you know he could ride at, at slow speeds and it was fun. <laughs> Most of the time he's on the pussy rig, which is the bike on a trailer <laughs> being pulled. Um, but uh, you know it's um, you know I think Ron you know uh, it's it, it, it's the kind of thing where you know we we would get him uh, you know he would take lessons each season and. Uh, um, and sometimes he was comfortable and sometimes he, he wasn't, you know, and, and you never want, you know, it's safety, you know, you really have to be concerned about safety and, and all that stuff. And, and, and if he's not comfortable on a bike, then it's not only dangerous for him, it's dangerous for everybody else in the process. So um, we would uh, just do a lot of close-ups. <laughs> and, and there's a part of me that thinks that Ron knew that. <laughs> I have, a, I have a quick question just about tone because I feel like uh, certainly this doesn't apply to anyone in this room, but for people who don't necessarily watch the show, they might think of that action or that candy you were talking about mm-hmm. as the thing that defines the show. Right, it's right. definitely part of it. Yeah. But there's another element that people might not know about if they're not familiar with it, which is that the show's funny, like really funny. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to hear you talk a little bit about like how you use comedy, why you use it the way you do, and, um, uh, you know... And the fact that you've, you've known that that was going to be part of it from the beginning because mm-hmm. it was there in the pilot. Even. Yeah. I think um, uh, uh, another great question. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Uh, I'm gunning for Ben's job. Uh, um, you know, I did really, again, I did, there's, did really bad stand-up for a few years. And uh, so I... Uh, 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 so I, I've always I love you know uh, I love dark comedy and uh, um, and you know I was able to sort of uh, flex that muscle a little bit on the shield and, and bring it into into this show um, and uh, the two things that happened one was when I spent a lot of time with these guys up north they were really funny they were incredibly irreverent like nothing there was like no there was nothing PC you know like nothing was off limits. And uh, um, um, but they they just owned it and uh, uh, and they gave each other such shit. But they just they had they had a lot of fun. Um, and I was really struck like, OK, this could really work. Like there's a way to bring that sort of irreverent, dark humor into the show strictly through character, you know. Um, and uh, and that's what we've been able to do. And um, and, you know, there is a. Uh, Along with the dark humor, there's a level, and I and I talk about this a lot. There's a level of absurdity that runs through my show that I is, is sort of the part of the comic relief and, and puts a little distance between all the violence and and everything. Um, um, so that's a, a quality, and 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 then you you know you pick your relationships and, and your characters that have those absurd qualities, and and a lot of it is you know some of it is Tig, some of it is Juice, right. you know. Um, and uh, 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 so you you uh, you know you 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 kind of frame your uh, uh, your stories, and then you find for me you find the characters and the dynamics that um, that can lighten it. And um, I write, you know, uh, I usually write I don't know maybe a ten or fifteen, you know, comic beats throughout an episode and. And uh, and sometimes my guys embrace it, and sometimes they don't want to be the funny guy. Sometimes they just want to be the you know the guy that hits somebody with a bat. So uh, <laughs> uh, so you know uh, uh, 
But um, so if, if I have 15 comedic, comedic beats and I can get five to work, I'm usually pretty happy. You know right. what I mean? And, and uh, so that's really um, uh, how we try to, uh, try to layer it in, you know. Did, Vena- Go ahead. Just, did, what, did the Venus character start as just a light story and then you developed more when it worked so well? Or did you know that was going somewhere? The, the Venus story started because uh, um, I, uh, uh, Walton Goggins, who's a, a friend of mine, uh, you know, wanted you know was, we talked about him being on the show and and I said, dude, there's just there's two characters I just can't bring on this show because they identify so um, strongly with the Shield and one is Vic and one is Shane, so I can't have you and Chicky on the show. It's just too close. And he's like, well, what if I played a transsexual? <laughs> And, and he said it like really snarky and 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 uh, and, and sarcastically. We'll have the molds made tomorrow. <laughs> well, and what happened was about six months later, I called him up. I said, um, "We're having tits made." <laughs> and uh, and then you know, Walton looks just, so heavy. Just, Walton, Walton just like totally embraced it. Oh, you man. know, yeah. he just went. He's like he was so excited, and uh, you yeah. know, so. when he came out. When when it was like Gemma was told somebody was waiting for her right. and she went in and he came out and I was like who's that lady it didn't yeah. even register because right, right. he just plays it so real yeah yeah that whole that episode that was just another hilarious when they were like blackmailing like the insurance yeah. guy right, right. with the photo right. yeah. that was like a fifteen minute sequence if I remember correctly yeah. it was like a long comedy sequence yeah. 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 it was like a play it was like a comedy yeah. play and he yeah. looked hilarious. really good yeah yeah I was like yeah. that. <laughs> And then that, you know, and that's one of those things where I'm blessed to have great actors and uh, um, who, uh, you know, that whole dynamic with Tig and Venus. And uh, <laughs> there's you know, a it was just, it was just, exactly. it was just a little thing on, you know, that Tig, uh, you know, uh, I think the the line was something about, you know, r- regardless of what's below the belt, you know, a rack is a rack. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, and and he just ran with that, you know, and and his like whole love affair was just like, oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we were able to, uh, and then I love the idea of taking that purely comedic story from last season, and then you know, kind of turning it on its head a little bit and seeing the underbelly of what that lifestyle was perhaps like. That was like. a dark underbelly. Yeah. yeah that yeah. was a pitch black dark that underbelly. <laughs> that was dark, but great. Uh, but. Uh, uh, and uh, and again, Walton just you know, and uh, and he's just one of those actors where he walks on you know the minute he walks out of wardrobe, he is Venus. He's Venus, and you know there is no, uh, uh, and it's disturbing because <laughs> he's he's kind of hot. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would love to hear about some of this stand-up comedy that you tried. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, I did it uh, uh, I did it in college. Um, I, uh, I did it for uh, uh, probably about three or four years in New York, and uh, um, uh, I, I, I loved it. I, there, there is something, there's, as, as comics will tell you, there's just nothing quite... Uh, as personal and as uh, as satisfying as that interaction on one on one with an audience and when you're making them laugh, and then there's equally nothing as torturous and painful <laughs> and terrifying as when it's not working, and uh, and I did it for a while and and you know it was it was okay you know I I I uh, I liked the experience um, it was very difficult to do quite honestly uh, I was studying to be an actor and. And, and taking a lot of classes and, you know, and, and waiting tables and doing all the things you do to survive. And to really be a good comic, 
you have to, you know, you have to stand in front of that mirror and you have to rehearse hours and hours and hours. And I just didn't have the ability or the time to do that. And uh, um, but um, uh, no, it was a great experience, and uh, uh, and it really taught me. Uh, I wrote a lot, you know, uh, and I observed a lot, and it really helped build that muscle, you know, in terms of uh, in terms of my writing. Do you remember what sort of material you were talking about? Then? Yeah, it was all. <laughs> it, it was, um, you know, it was all about. Uh, it was pretty dark. Uh, <laughs> I just, I, Surprising everything yeah, here. It was, it was all, you know, it was all about. Um, uh, I just had a very irreverent relationship with both of my parents, and it was, it was you know, weirdly sexual, and it was just weird. I mean, not the relationship, but the, <laughs> the stand-up was just, uh, you know. And uh, uh, and it was fun. I used to I used to I used to do a, a set at uh, at the at the bitter end on Bleecker Street, and and it was all NYU kids. And it was fine. And then and then what was happening is I started to get paid, and I would get booked, and it would, I'd be booked in these like like beautiful restaurants with these people who were like you know in, in their sixties and they're out having dinner, and I'm, I'm you know like I'm being led. You know my opening act was like a. Uh, you know, uh, uh, a concerto and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, a, a quartet, and and uh, um, uh, uh, and then I'd get up there, and, and I'd be like, these people would be my parents' age, and I'd be talking about, you know, um, uh, you know, the uh, the discomfort of a of a rim job or something, and uh, uh, and uh, and I was just, it was just sort of like I it was I, I just once I started getting paid, it was like well you know there was a responsibility to write to my gigs you know and uh, um and uh, and I just it became very difficult so because uh, uh, you don't you know at the time there wasn't uh, uh, there wasn't a, there was some comedy clubs but. Everyone was sort of trying to do comedy everywhere, you know. So you, you, you know, I was, I, I was doing a set at a fish market for about a month and a half, you know, which was, uh, which was uh, very interesting. Um, but uh, so uh, uh, it just, uh, yeah. Ultimately, it just became like. Here's the deal. It's like I didn't want to be a hack comic, you know what I mean? And there's a, you know, there's a, a lot of hack comics out there. So. To be to be the kind of comic that I wanted to be, I knew it would really require that that's all I did, you know. And I just got to that point where I really had to make a decision: do I do I want to do this or I want to do that? And uh, uh, it's interesting. I mean, uh, I guess along the same lines. Um, obviously, I mean, you've been in your own show. You've acted. You're still acting at right. least there. Is acting something you'd still like to pursue, or something you still and you still enjoy? Clearly, I do. I do. I do it. I, I joke that I'm the only one who will actually hire me as an actor. But uh, uh, luckily, you're in a position to. I am. Uh, but I do. I, I, I like it. I like uh, you know. Uh, obviously, I like uh, uh, you know um, playing characters that are a little outside of myself. And uh, um, uh, I did on the Shield, and I and I did uh, on Sons as well. So uh, I do like it. You know. Um, Does it push a different button from writing? It really does. I think it's um, uh, it's a different. Uh, it comes from the same place, but it's uh, uh, it requires a different uh, 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 a different mindset. You know, um, you're you know I like it because there is nothing like um, 
there, you know, when you're when you're working with another actor and and, and things are, are clicking, there it's 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 a it's a pretty magical connection, you know. It's 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 you know, um, and I had the experience, you know, I would. <laughs> I just learned to write all my scenes with really good actors, you know. So it's what you know. I did a whole arc with Maggie Siffs last season, which was which was fucking great because she's a great actor. And then and then um, you know with uh, you know D- uh, Donald Logue's a, a buddy of mine and just such a great actor. So I got to work with him a lot this you know. So I just uh, I just basically would write scenes with actors who I, I liked wanted to work with. So. Uh, <laughs> Uh, um, and but you also torture yourself. Like, the, who goes through more? Like, you really put yourself through the ringer. Yeah, it's my anti-Dorian Gray. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to some of your questions. Hi. Uh, when it comes to spec scripts, uh, could you talk about one that you've read that you felt was particularly strong, and what's a common pitfall that you think first-time writers get into when they do one? Um, that's a good question. You know, spec scripts are really tricky because, um, um, I mean, there's uh, if you're if you're writing for a specific show, if you're doing a spec script for um, uh, like a Sons of Anarchy spec script or whatever, um, uh, you you know you have to um, embrace the format of the show, the characters, the voice of the show. So you have to deliver all those things that people have expectations, and yet. How do you give it your own unique voice? How do you make it not just feel derivative? It's a it's a tricky balance, you know. Um, uh, I think uh, I, I and this is just me, but if if someone's turning in, uh, I, I always I don't read quite honestly. I don't read spec scripts. I always ask for original material. I either ask for pilots, plays, or screenplays, preferably pilots. Um, I like to. Uh, um, I assume that you know someone is coming to me with a certain amount of um, skill set in terms of um, formatting. You know, to me, any hack can figure out structure. You know, I, I, I try to, and I don't mean that the way it sounds. I mean anybody can. You don't need a lot of God-given talent to to you know to learn how to structure a a a, a script. I look for uh, creativity. I look for you know um, a voice. Um, so if I'm reading a script, I really try to find somebody who is not afraid to um, do something different, is not afraid to sort of break the mold a little bit. Um, I really look for you know uh, um, uh, creativity. You know, as a, as as writers, that is our biggest tool. You know, I. With my writers in, in the room, it's like, you know, I, I don't want people to come in with research. I have people that do research. So I don't want somebody to come in and say, hey, I read a story about blah, blah, blah. That's fine. You can read a story about blah, blah, blah. Use that as your inspiration. Now, what's your, what's, you know, apply your own ingenuity to it, apply your own creativity to it. You know, what's, you know what is your pitch on that story? Don't come in and 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 fucking give me a wiki pitch. That's you know that's I fucking hate that. You know, so you know come in and give me your spin on it. Give me some big idea. You know, my favorite thing to say in the room is, "Wow, it's fucking crazy. We can't do that." You know, uh, it's like I want to I want to pull people back. What is something? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we've gotten there yet, but uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean. It's like I want I I I. I you know, it's like I, I want people to, you know, 
that's what that's as artists that's what we do as storytellers that's what we do and so that's really what i look for i look for the big you know someone that has a voice someone that's not afraid to tell a different kind of story and if i guess if it's in you know if it's in the framework of a script um don't be afraid of of a of a spec script and this is just my opinion i don't be afraid to push the conventions of the show you know what i mean um I the the script that got me the job on the shield was, was a was a West Wing spec, and uh, I just broke every rule. You know, I had uh, you know I had uh, uh, um, counterpoint scenes between like secondary characters. You know, um, and uh, uh, there was a uh, you know I had like eight year olds shooting at other eight year olds. Like I broke every convention of the show. And it wasn't really the West Wing, but there was something in that script that Sean said, this guy's really fucked up, I should hire him. <laughs> so, uh, but that's what I mean. Like, it, it's, um, it, like, you know, um, and, and I always tell, when, when writers ask me, what should I write about? Like, you know, what's a good thing to write about? I don't know. I don't know you. You know what I mean? Don't go and look at, don't read the trades and go, oh, that's what people want, because then you're fucked. You know, um, you need to figure out what it is that inspires you. You know, what are the things that that push your buttons? Um, What are your, uh, you know, uh, you know, what excites you? And 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 start from that place. And you know, with finding the kind of stories you want to tell, rather than what you think other people want to read or ripping headlines. You know what I mean? Uh, And it requires a lot of. It requires some time. You know, it requires some. You know, some awareness of, of who you are and what, what you know, and, and, uh, and uh, well, this just got really heavy. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm on NPR. <laughs> I will add, and this came up in one of our very uh, first podcasts uh, that Jane Espenson said, when you are a writer who is not currently employed as a writer, you have the time to write that spec script, mm-hmm. you know, and it might be nights and it might be weekends, but, right. you know, you don't have to go write for somebody else. So, right. so write what you want to write. Yeah. I wanted to ask the structure question. Now I just feel kind of silly. <laughs> but um, a lot of your recent episodes have gone longer than an hour every right. time. Yeah. And I want to know that change the story structure as far as how you tell stories. Like you said earlier, you had beats. Right. Do you find yourself making more beats or, or even worrying about acts anymore? No. <laughs> Are you even worried about acts anymore? <laughs> I do. We were talking about this a little bit in the green room, yeah. but uh, we talked also about how this started to happen. Right. And and Paul, I want to hear your reaction to it also, what you told us. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah, yeah. It's uh, uh, no, it's not. Uh, uh, you know, here's the truth. The truth is, my scripts have not changed uh, in page count since season one. They're all and they're all between thirty nine and forty three pages long. They're really tight scripts. Um, what's happened is that. The world has gotten bigger. The stakes have gotten higher. The character relationships have gotten deeper. So the show moves at a much slower, deeper pace than it did seasons one, two, three, and four. And, 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 what, and what's happened is that scenes that I could cut in episodes in seasons two or, or three or even four, I can't cut those scenes anymore because they, the... Um, 
the world has gotten so complicated and the relationships have gotten so complicated that they're all sort of building on each other much more. So there's very few things that can be extracted as easily as they were the first few seasons. Now, I'm lucky that the network um, is aware of that. So I'll even, like, um, you know, I'll make cuts in scenes sometimes and trim them down and, and, and they'll miss stuff in the script. They're like, well, what happened to that great beat between Jackson Tara at the table and blah, blah, blah. And I'll be like, well, like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to trim some time. Well, can we see it? I'm like, yeah. You, you know what I mean? So I think once they figured out how to give me more time without impacting their schedule and, and, and knowing how to wrap the revenue plan around it, they were, they were very open to allowing me to do that. And, and I don't take it, you know, like I don't, I don't take it for granted or I don't take advantage of it. I'm not turning in 50-page scripts. My, my scripts are always sort of the same thing. And it's just, you know, if you looked at, if you charted um, the, uh, you know, um, uh, the statistics for the scripts and, and uh, you know, you would see that the page counts are relatively the same and the director's cuts just keep coming in longer and longer <laughs> and longer and longer, you know. So I'm getting director's cuts that are like, you know, they're like 32 minutes over, you know. Oh, they're crazy wow. over. And, uh, and um, y- you know, uh, so I, I go in there and, and, uh, uh, and they've just, they just understand the nature of what it is. They understand that it's a third, you know, uh, it's, we're, just at, we're just at that place in the game. So, I, you know, the structure really stays the same. And what ends up happening is the only time I play with structure is really in post. Because my scripts are, for the most part, unless I know I'm writing, you know, like a premiere or a finale that I know will be 90 minutes, I'll do a six-act structure on those. But for the most part, all the other ones are not. They're four-act structures, you know, a teaser and four acts. So I'll have to, in post, I'll then go, okay, now I have to find a new act break, you know, because I need another commercial there. So that's really where I'll actually play with structure more is in post rather than at the script level. Mm. Uh, uh, Paul, talk about why you like these long episodes. Oh, I was just saying that I'm just slightly healthier because I watch Sons on the Treadmill. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm running for like nine minutes longer, 15 minutes longer. So I have, I have Kurt to thank for this, <laughs> this uh, incredible physique. Thank That's you. awesome. <laughs> Hi, I was wondering if I could ask a question about the violence on the show. Um, sure. From very early on, uh, you guys have definitely pushed the boundaries in terms of what violence we've been able to see on TV, especially, I would say, with like the episode Hands in season four mm-hmm. and uh, with the premiere, obviously, of this mm-hmm. season. I'm wondering what the difference is in your processes as creative storyteller and as corporate employee right. <laughs> when in the process of, of getting those moments on the air. And what's that like? Um, for me, uh, you know, it's obviously a, a, a violent world. Um, uh, I will say that um, with some of the violence we do on the show, um, that's where I incorporate uh, a level of that absurdity um, that kind of puts a little bit of distance between the reality of what's happening and, and the viewer. Um, uh, you know, I... Um, I've, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not. I don't live in that world. I'm not an outlaw. Um, I ride, but I, I don't own guns. I've, I've never killed anyone. Um, so 
there's a part of me that it's all fantasy for me, you know. And uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm. It's not this, but I, you know, I, I, I sort of like I'm. I might as well be writing about wizards and fairies. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. Um, I uh, so I have a you know I have a uh, it's really uh, I have a very dark imagination with all that stuff and I don't that's a, a, a again a different podcast <laughs> but um, uh, so I'm able to sort of bring all that stuff out and um, um, and then over over time I've learned to figure out where the boundaries are and I did, I had no boundaries coming into this process like I would you know acts in the back of people's head you know i just you know i uh i had lunch with uh um uh eli roth who's become a friend of mine about a, a two or three months ago and it was just the, the most fun lunch because we just talked about all the shit we would want to do if we ever had the opportunity to do it it was it was just like you know we were just like swimming in a bathtub of blood and uh so um um uh you, you know like here's a perfect example first season we had this um uh, carnival clown that raped this little girl and 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 our guys uh, had their own brand of justice and they they castrated this guy with a gelding knife and uh, um, and I was adamant that you had to see this guy's testicles hit the ground we have to see that those bloody we have to see his balls we have to see his bloody sack hit the ground or it's not going to be satisfying for the viewers and John Landgraf was like you know they really don't need to see the bloody sack <laughs> They, they trust me. They really, they don't want to see the set. So, and then you know, and then and watching it, and then it, we don't really see it. We just we hear like this, and we hear the guy scream, and we sort of see a, some blood, and it was really disturbing. And and afterwards, I was like, oh yeah, I guess we really didn't need to see that. So, I you know, I need I need people. You know, I'm I you know I need the bowl with bumpers. You know what I mean? So. Um, uh, uh, so, uh, I, I, and and that's what the network has become for me. But uh, but what's happened is over time, I've I know where those sort of boundaries are now. You know, and this season, you know, with the with the school shooting, I, I mean, I knew that was going to be a tricky one. I knew I was pretty vocal in you know in previous um, events when with with that stuff, or or not vocal, but people came to me asking my opinion and. Um, um, and I and I knew it could be perceived as being sensational, and but it was really a story that I wanted to tell for two or three seasons, um, and uh, um, and I and I knew there was a way to do it. I, and as I said, it was something that is the catalyst for the final act of the show, and um, um, and I knew there was a way to do it without it being gratuitous. Like I knew I never wanted to see bodies of children hitting the ground. You know, I knew, like, that would be gratuitous, that would be too much. You know, it would be much more powerful and much more emotionally jarring to be outside that room, seeing the flash of light, seeing the screen. You know what I mean? So there's a, I, I've learned creatively um, uh, what's as impactful without quite being as, as, um, as discomfort, you know, as, 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 as uh, off-putting, you know. Because the truth is... You know, I want people to 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 watch my show leaning in. You know, I want them to be like this the whole time they're watching. You know, and um, and you never want that a series of events that happens where they go, you know, where they push back, and you know, so you you just have to have certain awareness of where those lines are, so you don't you know push an audience away with you know with something that's not necessarily important to story 
or, or crucial to story, you know. So, you know, us being here at a comic book store, uh, you know, years ago you were attached to that Punisher script. Is mm-hmm. that ever something you'd want to revisit, or it's 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 really out of my wheelhouse. Um, I did a draft of that Punisher script, and uh, um, you know, it was a it was a great experience for me. Uh, it didn't necessarily um, uh, it wasn't exactly what Marvel. Um, wanted, uh, basically because I, 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 you know, I threw out all their. Basically, I just threw out their formula and I and I wrote my own movie, uh, and uh, uh, um, so they didn't like that. Um, but uh, 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 yeah, I mean, I think it's um, you know, here's what I would say. I think uh, as we're talking here about process and about awareness. And in, 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 as far as allowing writers to, you know, uh, to discover things, I feel like that's beginning to happen in that genre as well. You know, if, if you look at, um, you know, the Dark Knight movies, you know, that's, that's breaking the mold pretty much of, of standard superhero movies, you know. Um, and uh, uh, so, I, I, you know, I, I think if the right project came along, I'd, I definitely would, uh, you know, uh, be willing to do that. I... Uh, I, uh, you know, we had, uh, I wrote um, uh, uh, a script with, um, uh, with uh, John Scheiban, who came out of the uh, Chris Carter camp, and uh, um, it was completely out of my wheelhouse. It's uh, this sort of sci-fi, uh, you know, uh, demon hunter, uh, ex-military um, dude, and it's this crazy-ass, really cool story, and uh, um and we wrote a script, and I think we, we did it for uh, FX, and, and it really, I kind of knew when they said, okay, let's read it, I'll read it, you know, we'll, we'll move forward. I kind of knew they would never do it, because it really wasn't what they were doing. Um, but again, they're a little afraid of me. So, uh, uh, um, and, uh, so once the script was done and they passed on it, I, I realized rather than going and trying to sell it to somebody else and doing, you know, giving them taking their notes and the development process, which can just completely turn shit upside down. We actually sold the script to Boom, so we're going to do it as a graphic novel. So, um, uh, uh, and, and I love that idea because now I'm, I'll, I'll hire a great writer th- with, with these guys, and we'll really be able to discover the character in that medium where there are no boundaries. You know, and really figure out who the guy is and what what, what the world looks like, and um, and and I we can go anywhere with it. You know, um, so I am I, I I'm I'm you know it's it's a it's a world um I haven't spent a lot of time in, but I'm obviously you know I'm kind of fascinated by it. Are you yeah. are you interested in feature writing? Yeah, I I um I I was lucky on the shield uh, that I I got to do a feature pretty much. Um, in pretty much every hiatus, I did something in the feature world, and I refer to it as my, uh, I was telling these guys, my virtual career, because I write it, and then I, it just goes into the ethos, and I never know what happens. <laughs> it's a to very it. different process. Completely different process. Do you um, get anything out of that that you don't get from television? Um, you know, it is. It's a different... It's Besides a, a lot more money? In, uh, well, yes. Uh, <laughs> But it's, um, you know, it, there's something interesting about the beginning, middle, and end of it all, you know, uh, that's sort of satisfying to tell that one story from beginning to end and uh, uh, that, I, that I like doing. Um, and uh, we'll, you know, um, but I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm in a position now where I have a great day job, you know. So uh, um, I wrote a, a, a screenplay, um, a script, uh, the hiatus uh, before last um, 
uh, a boxing movie for Eminem called Southpaw that I think is going to go forward now with another actor. So, um, but again, it's sort of like I, um, if I end up doing a rewrite on that, it's, you know, uh, there's just so many factors that play in that world in terms of what gets made. And, and you know, the great thing about TV is, uh, you know, I, like you can have an idea uh, in the room on Monday and write it on Tuesday and somebody's shooting it on Thursday and you're looking at it, you know, uh, uh, on Monday. And uh, the, the immediacy of that is so gratifying uh, as a writer and an artist that... Um, um, you know, I, I wouldn't, you know, uh, I love TV, man. That's, you know, I don't, uh, uh, I don't think I'd ever, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I'd love to continue to do features and, and direct, and, and that's all part of the landscape, but um, uh, uh, I, I, don't, I don't want to leave TV. Cool. Uh, we have time for one or two more if they're quick ones. Come on up. Uh, when you look at your time at both The Shield and Sons of Anarchy, what do you feel like is the best bits of advice or things you've learned about writing that you think uh, you would want to share with any aspiring writer? Um, uh, I would say um, uh, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, there's a uh, 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 again, I think it speaks to what I was telling the gentleman about um, um, spec scripts that uh, um, you know that there's never uh, um, there, there are no um, uh, bad pitches. Do you know what I mean? There are no stupid pitches. Um, uh, the bad pitch is one that that uh, that doesn't get uh, uh, shared. Do you know? Um, so don't don't edit yourself. You know, I learned, and and I, and I unfortunately had no problem with that. Uh, uh, I needed a little editing, um, but uh, yeah. So uh, you know, n- not to edit yourself. Um, and uh, and this is really what I try to get my writers to do. I really try to get them to um, take ownership in the show. Like, be proprietary over your pitches. Like, own them, fight for them. You know, even if even if a writer has a pitch that just sucks, and I, I you know I want him to fight for it and try to convince the room as to why we should go there. Because my experience is from that process, the right idea. You know, from that give and take. You know, they're going to learn, and and the room will learn where to where to go with the story. So, um, uh, you know, uh, like just sort of, you know, own your shit. You know. Uh, I'll be quick, I won't touch the mic. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Venus's dialogue is beautiful for starters, um, and I want to thank you for you know allowing some of your characters that are minorities to be well rounded and figured because. A lot of people think that's added rocket science for some reason, but it's refreshing to see. <laughs> it's refreshing to see. Um, but my question is, uh, through all of this, you know, whether it's been with the show or other shows, what's maybe the most satisfying thing for you in your journey as a writer so far? Um, uh, I would say, and, and to speak to your, your, your first um, comment, I think for me... Um, you know, I love the... You know, I love the ability to... Um, uh, to really uh, write uh, different voices, you know? Like, I loved, you know, having the, the luxury of writing for a character like Venus, who you normally don't see on my show. It was, you know, I felt like I was fucking Tennessee Williams. It was fantastic. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, 
so, uh, you know, I'm and I, um, for me, the magic happens, and not to sound more insane than I probably already sound, but. <laughs> You know, uh, the you know when I'm in that process and I can hear the scene in my head when I the, the characters actually start talking to each other in my head and I hear the scene, you know, it's it's those moments that I go, wow, this is really what I'm supposed to be doing. So it's it's you know, and I was a guy that you know I I, I, I took me a long time to figure out what I was supposed to be doing. You know, all I my goal like for most of my 20s and 30s was just to be able to when someone asked me what I did for a living to answer them in one sentence. <laughs> That's all I wanted to be able to do. I am a blah blah blah. That's, you know, and say so I'm trying to do this but I do this for money. It's like, you know, 20 minutes later I give them an answer. That really was my only that was my, you know, I just wanted the the, the simplicity of that. So, um uh, I I would say that you know, you know, being able to uh, uh, to be in those moments where I, I really feel it clicking for me, and I realize, oh, this is actually this is I'm in the right place. This is what I'm supposed to be doing, and 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 because I know, I know how rare that is. I know there's a lot of people out there that never get to experience that that sense of I'm doing exactly what I'm, I'm supposed to be doing, and I know you know how rare that is, and 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 I have a lot of gratitude for that. Thanks. Uh, we end this show as we always do by asking, uh, what are you watching on television? And Jessica, let's start with you. What are you watching? What are you enjoying? What are you talking about with your partner, with uh, a room that you're in, stuff like that? Uh, well, I'm watching Sons. I'm watching Scandal. I'm watching, well, Parenthood's not on right now. Um, Key and Peel. I'm getting so into that. Right. And when we sit down to write in the morning and we want to get, like, feeling happy with the world we want to feel. <laughs> and, um, you know, my husband's here, so I can't totally lie about not watching Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and some other <laughs> terrible things. <laughs> but that's, that, those are my main ones right now. Correct. Paul? Um, sons, clearly. Excited for Tuesday. But uh, uh, The Returned, in a big way. Um, I'm really enjoying Brooklyn Nine-Nine, like a lot. Fun, right? Like, I think it's really funny. I think it's great. Um, so I'd say those are the those are the things that I'm watching right now. And then you know there's some great stuff coming back in the new year that I'm looking forward to seeing Justified again. Right. Um, but yeah, it's good. There's good stuff on. Yeah. We're still in that golden age that everyone was talking about. I'm sorry, about Breaking Bad. Even though you're over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're, TV's still good. Uh, Kurt, what are you watching on television? Uh, I watch. Um, uh, I watch a lot of HGTV with my wife. <laughs> Really you, we get that so often. Yeah, we, we do. We, we, it's sort of our little bonding um, thing we do. Um, but I, in terms of TV, I, I, um, uh, uh, I, uh, I'm a few episodes behind, but I'm uh, a huge Boardwalk Empire fan. Um, yes. and, uh, uh, and I'm really uh, enjoying uh, uh, my wife turned me on to uh, uh, Orange is the New Black. Mm-hmm. I, I love, I think Kenji's in, in, incredibly talented. And uh, I made the mistake of, of, of watching the finale with my wife. And I was sort of like, oh. And then I've watched two or three episodes in between. So now I'm like, all right, I got to watch. So now I start from the beginning and I've been watching. And it's, a, it's, you know, it's, such a, it's such a smart idea. And I know it's based on a, on a somewhat uh, on a true story, but um, uh, 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 I'm really digging that show. Cool. Well, please give a huge round of applause to all of our panelists. Jess Goldstein, Paul Grillong, and Kurt Sutter. Thanks to everyone here at Nerdist Industries and Meltdown Comics and to HG6LA. 
Now leaving Nerdist.com. 